0: This time I invite you to turn in your Bibles with me to the Gospel according to Matthew, Matthew chapter 11. I'll begin reading at verse 20 to the end of the chapter. Verses 28 to 30, however, will constitute my sermon text for this morning. Very well-known verses of Scripture that have been a comfort to the church for many, many years. As you're turning there... The songs that uh, were chosen this morning, I typically for a profession of faith, I ask those who are making profession of faith to submit some, some hymns or psalms that they would like sung during the service, and I think all of them chose number 172, so that, but um, yeah, that's, it's a joy to be able to sing these wonderful hymns of, and psalms of the Christian faith. Beginning at verse 20, Matthew chapter 11, let us now hear God's word. Then he, that is Jesus, began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have been it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. At that time, Jesus declared, "I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding." And reveal them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son. And anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Thus far the reading of God's holy word may it is blessing upon the preaching and teaching of it. Congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, after Jesus rebukes the people in the unrepentant cities of Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum, he gives praise and thanks to God. He gives praise and thanks to God because he has hidden these things from the wise and understanding and has revealed them to little children. What are these things that he's talking about? He's talking about the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. The secret of the kingdom of heaven is repent and believe in the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, and know life and forgiveness and mercy and grace. The secrets of the kingdom have been hidden from the wise and understanding. Jesus isn't name-calling. He isn't distinguishing between the educated and uneducated. Because we know that the educated also inherit the kingdom of God. What Jesus is referring to before he comes to the text, Come to me all you who labor and heavy laden. He's referring to those who think that they are righteous in and of themselves. He is talking about those who think they are wise and they have understanding that come from within rather than from without, from from God Himself who reveals to all men, all sinners, that Jesus is Lord. These things, the secrets of the kingdom, have been revealed to little children. Helpless, needy, dependent, Children, it's as if the kingdom of God has a sign that says little children allowed only. Unless you come to Jesus like a little child, you will not see the kingdom of heaven. What are the secrets of the kingdom? Repentance and faith. They are the gift of hearing with your ears the truth of the gospel, the truth of the word of God, and not only just hearing it with your ears, but believing it with your hearts. Seeing, aha, Jesus is Lord. And it is little children that come running to Jesus. Because it is through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection that he accomplishes salvation full and free for sinners. Furthermore, he is... The king of Israel and his own people received him not. But those who receive him, to them he gave the right to be called what? The children of God. And so you better believe it that only little children are allowed into the kingdom. And the secret of the kingdom has been revealed only to those to whom the father chose to reveal it to this is really, before we get to verses 28 to 30, we really have some profound teaching here about the unique relationship between the Father and the Son. No one knows the Father except the Son, and nobody knows the Son except the Father. But then he says, And anyone whom the Son reveals the Father. Huh. Jesus has the authority to reveal the Father to you, Christian. Interestingly, this is a prayer where Jesus gives thanks. But notice how he transitions. He tra- it's as if he's praying to the Father. He is praying to the Father, giving thanks to the Father, and then he turns to you. He turns to you and me. He turns to his audience at that time. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. We have divine sovereignty, divine election, and now we have human responsibility. Come to me all you who labor and heavy laden. Yes, that great mystery of the faith. Those who don't come to Jesus and find rest, it's not God's fault. It's sinful man's fault. It's sinful woman's fault. Jesus, after giving thanks to God, praise to him for, the, for revealing the secrets of the kingdom to little children, he turns to sheep and says, come to me all you who are heavy laden, weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus invites little children to come to him, to learn from him, and to rest in him. He invites little children to come to him, learn from him, and rest in him. Now, some of you may think, well, I've heard this my entire life, Pastor. I don't need to hear this right now. Wrong. Wrong. You and I need to hear it often, daily. Because I dare to say that we often live our lives constantly to this confession. In fact, we live our lives like practical atheists, still relying upon ourselves. And so this message is for all of us. It's not just an invitation of Jesus to those who do not believe and are called to come to believe in Jesus. No, it's it's an invitation for all of us. And so let's look at that invitation of the Lord Jesus Christ. The first point, the invitation. Jesus says, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. He invites us to come to him. Who does he invite? All who labor and are heavy laden. Who are they? Who are those who are weary and heavy laden? Those who have heavy burdens? Well, there's a narrow interpretation of this. And that narrow interpretation comes from chapter 23, verse 4 of Matthew's gospel, where in Matthew chapter 23, Jesus rebukes, he gives the woes to the Pharisees. Woe to you Pharisees who lay heavy burdens upon the people, which you yourselves do not do. You live the high life. You think you're righteous in yourself, and you lay these, this legalism and burden upon the people, which you yourselves do not keep. And consequently, these people who are weary and heavy laden have a guilty conscience. I, I don't measure up. I don't measure up to this standard. How do I know if I'm ever achieving enough to please God? If all these burdens are on me. Do you even struggle with that as a Christian? Do you struggle with that? I do. At times. Do you? Did I? Do I measure up to the standard place before me? In this case, in chapter 23 of Matthew, the standards imposed by the Pharisees, the traditions of men, the self imposed laws that we place upon ourselves, deceiving ourselves, thinking that this will please God. This will give me rest if I only do what I place upon myself. What about the law of God? The law of God being a heavy burden upon us. Oh, I can never achieve that. Well, you're right, we can't. We can't, we can't. But the law of God teaches us of Jesus. It drives us to Jesus who keeps the whole law. He is our righteousness. He is the covenant keeper with God. He accomplishes what we fail to do daily. But there's a broader interpretation, it's just not the the, the legalism imposed upon people that that creates a heavy burden, a backpack of burdens. It's legalism of other sorts, it's self-imposed religion, it's traditions of men. Even in Acts chapter 15, when Paul and Barnabas go to the church in Jerusalem and they talk about what the Lord's doing among the Gentiles, And these Judaizers come in, these circumcised groups, this group that comes in and tells the Gentiles, no, you must keep the law of Moses, you must do this and do that in order to be a follower of Jesus. And the apostles had to get together and talk about this, and Peter stood up and said, Brothers, you know that in early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, between the Jews and the Gentiles, or or the people of other nations, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now listen to what Peter says. Now therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe, Peter says, we believe that we will be saved through grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. Congregation of Christ, Jesus Christ came and he invites broken, hurting, helpless, hopeless sinners like you and me. Those who are weary and heavy laden by the burden of guilt and sorrow of hearts. He invites little children. He doesn't invite the proud of hearts, those who think they have it all together, those who are wise in their eyes. No, we come like little children at his invitation. How about the weight of wrath and judgment, which is also a weighty burden upon our hearts? Jesus Jesus doesn't come, doesn't invite us. Jesus doesn't invite us to come when we think we have everything together. He doesn't invite us to come when we have every reformed doctrine i dotted and t crossed. He doesn't call us to come when we have every question and answer memorized. He calls us to come broken and humbled those other things are important. But the invitation is to come as broken, humbled sinners. Come in faith. Come in faith and find rest in me, says Jesus, who is Savior and Lord. Just as he called his Father Lord of heaven and earth, he too is Lord of heaven and earth. As he shows forth throughout the Gospels in his works and words. Friends, I can't think of a better hymn, a better hymn at this time to recite to you, not sing to you, but to recite to you. Although I have done that at some points, but I don't think I could carry this tune. How about, Come ye sinners, poor and needy. Listen, this is a sermon in and of itself. This is a prayer in and of itself. Stanza one, Come ye sinners, poor and needy. Weak and wounded, sick and sore. Jesus ready stands to save you, full of pity, love, and power. Stanza three. Let not conscience make you linger, nor a fitness fondly dream. All the fitness he requireth is to feel your need of him. And now listen to what he says. Stanza four. Come ye weary, heavy laden, lost and ruined by the fall. If you tarry till you're better, you will never come at all. That is a profound statement. That is a profound word that we sing. If you tarry till you're better, you will never come at Christ's invitation at all. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall never hunger. Whoever comes to me shall never thirst. Come to the waters. Come without price. Isaiah 55. Come and buy without money. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Whoever believes in him shall never thirst and shall never hunger. Jesus invites Repentant sinners. And daily we come to Him repenting. Daily we come to Him. Seeking His mercy and grace. Secondly. Jesus called to discipleship. Jesus calls sinners to learn from Him. He says come to me all who labor and heavy laden and I will give you rest he says at verse 29, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. Learn from me. This is discipleship. A disciple of Jesus is a follower, a learner, always in the school of Christ, always learning. If you're a senior saint, been in the church since you were baptized, you are always learning. You have never arrived. And you think if you think you have arrived, you have been deceived. We are always learners following Jesus, falling at the feet of our Savior. Literally, a yoke is a wooden beam that is placed upon two animals to carry a load together, to pull a load or to plow a field. The weight is distributed. It unites the two so that they work together as one. Jesus says that my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so a yoke figuratively means to unite two people, becoming one. When a person comes to, to Jesus' invitation, to receive Him as Lord and Savior through repentance and faith in Him, they are united to Christ by faith, inseparable, un- inseparably united to Him, never to be separated. And the believer takes Jesus' yoke upon Him. Notice there's still a burden to carry, but it's a light burden. Because Jesus is our righteousness. He is our holiness. We don't carry the burden of the law. We don't carry the burden of legalism. No, we carry the burden of Christ, which is love. A love that he has poured into our hearts. And Jesus says, I I call you not only to believe in my name, but to follow me. To be a follower of Jesus is not just to believe in Jesus and live like the devil. To live your life the way you want to live? To think that we can live, oh, I believed, I made that confession of faith one time in my life, they made the profession of faith, and now they can go live like they want. No. Jesus calls us to a different kind of life. A life transformed by the Holy Spirit in our hearts. A life called to discipleship, to follow Him. We take Christ's yoke upon ourselves with childlike, wholehearted faith instilled in us by the power of the Spirit. Because Jesus calls us to discipleship, to follow Him. And all those who are called to follow Him are called to count the cost. Do you know what it costs you to follow Him? To be a disciple? You see how it count, the cost it counted the disciples? What about your life? The cost. I remember it came at the cost of my family. Getting kicked out of my house. Yes, kicked out of my house. And by God's grace, he restored that relationship. But you think about brothers and sisters around the world who are counting the cost for the sake of Christ. Jesus says, come to me the invitation. He calls us to discipleship when he says, take my yoke upon you. Be united to me. Learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. He is not a strict taskmaster. He's not a Pharisee who lays upon you unachievable, heavy burdens that are too heavy to bear. No, he is a gentle, kind, loving shepherd. He is a good shepherd. Who laid down his life for the sheep? And he leads them beside still waters and and along green pastures. When I was young, I used to love watching my parents dance. I said dance, I'm sorry. Not really. But I used to love watching my parents dance. They were in fact when they came here from Italy on a boat, they actually met on a boat and they entered a dance contest together and they won. And so when we were growing up, they would teach us how to dance certain Italian traditional dances. And one thing about dancing that's so beautiful is how they glide on the dance floor. You ever see a good ballroom dance or a beautiful waltz kids that's dancing. <laughs> where the man leads, guides, and directs the woman across the dance floor. And it's as if they're hovering over the dance floor, moving about. All their intricate details of dance. But the woman has to follow the leader, has to follow the man's leading. If she doesn't, there's chaos, there's, there's disorder on the dance floor and we used to love going to Italian weddings because that was a time where we would dance the tarantella we would dance all the traditional dances we would dance waltz and other dances and they would teach us Jesus is the bridegroom Jesus is the bridegroom and he takes his bride and he leads us and guides us a magnificent dance where we the bride follow his lead we the bride are guided by him in life he calls us to discipleship where we follow his lead according to his word and yes we trip we fall Sometimes it doesn't look pretty in our homes, in our relationships. But Jesus teaches and we learn from him. And his law, as first John 5:3 says, does not become burdensome because we love him. We love him. We want to follow him. When you confessed Christ, when you made profession of faith, Did you have it in your heart to say, now I don't care about you, Jesus, I want to go on living my own life? Probably the opposite, wasn't it? When you come to know Jesus by the power of the Spirit and Word, you want to say, no, I want to follow my Lord. I want to hold on to my Lord. I want to walk with my Lord. I want to live for Him following the invitation to come to Jesus and to take upon himself his yoke or burden results in that promise to give rest, rest for our souls. Lastly, the promise of rest. The word rest here means refresh, to be refreshed. And he invites his children to enter that refreshment that he provides, not by human works or efforts, but by his once for all sacrifice on the cross. He says twice, I will give you rest. I, the Lord of heaven and earth, I, the Savior of the world, I, King of kings and Lord of lords, will give you rest in my kingdom. Come, because my kingdom is a kingdom of peace and joy in the Spirit. And you will find rest for your souls. Do you know that rest Do you know that peace that passes all understanding that the world around you can give way with sin, with darkness, with illness, cancer, with death and still say, it is well with my soul. It is well with my soul, Lord Jesus, because you have made it well. And by grace I have come to you. I sit at your feet, King Jesus, and you have given me rest. You have given me rest. Rest is the peace of heart and mind. Not the cares and anxieties of of, of the world around us, but the inner peace of heart and mind. Peace with God. Jesus says earlier in Matthew, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness For theirs is the kingdom of God. For they will be satisfied. And this differentiates us from the world, Christian. When they ask you, how can you have peace in trial? How can you have peace when you are suffering? How can you have peace when you are dying? When you are on your deathbed? How can you have peace? We have peace. Because of Jesus, who died and rose again and ascended into the right hand of the Father and gives me hope. Rest is the peace of heart and mind that Christ is our righteousness and satisfies our deepest spiritual need and longing. He reconciled us to the Father, adopted us into the family, and we are inheritors of his kingdom. Rest is also the assurance of salvation and the forgiveness of sins. Yes, we too, even as confessing, professing Christians, need to hear this daily. Because yes, I dare to say that many of us struggle with assurance. Does God really love me? Does He really forgive me? Does Jesus really give me rest? Indeed, He does. And so this is where you need to preach to yourself. Preach God's promise. Preach Jesus' word to yourself. I will give you rest. I give rest for your souls. Jesus, I believe you at your word. And his word says, he who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. I have the Son. The Son is in me and I am in him. And the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit dwells within me. I belong to Him, body and soul, and life and in death. Amen? And this rest is also found in the fellowship and communion with this one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, which we'll talk about further tonight in Matthew chapter 28. So I'll save that point for later. This morning... There are five who made profession of faith. They have come to Jesus to find rest. God had worked in their lives. They've heard the gospel. They've responded to the gospel. God revealed to them the secrets of the kingdom. What a beautiful thing we celebrate. What a joy. What a do- joy. This should not be a dirge. Church service should never be a funeral service. There's a time and place for that. Because the Lord's Day is Resurrection Sunday. Where the dead are made alive in Christ. And we celebrate. We celebrate. And the church is God's appointed institute where the remedy for the sinful condition is proclaimed. Christ in Him crucified. Christ in Him risen. The remedy is Jesus for the weary and heavy laden. Are you weary and heavy laden? Have you come to Jesus to find rest? Do you have ears to hear and eyes to see? Is the Spirit of God working in your heart to confess Him as Lord and Savior? Because Jesus gave the altar call, come to me all of you who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. And the call is for everyone to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. This is the mission of the church, the task of the church, the calling of the church to be a hospital for broken sinners who are living in spiritual distress and need true spiritual food and drink. It's not a country club or an exclusive boys club. It is a hospital, a hospital for sinners. And do we welcome people as such? Or do we expect people to come into the church and live just like us? Dress just like us. Think just like us. Have their act together. And I'm not going to say just like us. Shame on us if we did. Because I dare to say again, a common phrase, that we don't have our act together. That we need to hear a message like this daily daily. Listen to what Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote. Again, I quote this book often, Life Together, one of my favorite books. Bonhoeffer wrote this. The pious fellowship, that is, the fellowship of the church that comes across as hoity-toity, have their act together, they look good by all appearances. He says the pious fellowship permits no one to be a sinner So everyone must conceal his sin from himself and from the fellowship. We dare not to be sinners. Many Christians are unthinkably horrified when a real sinner is suddenly discovered among the righteous. (laughs) So we remain alone with our sin, living in lies and hypocrisy. Think about what he's saying there. As a result of this pious fellowship, It prevents people from sharing their hurt and sin. Shame on us. The fact is that we are all sinners, says Bonhoeffer. He writes, but it is the grace of the gospel which is so hard for the pious to understand that it confronts us with the truth and says, you are a sinner, a great, desperate sinner. Now come, as the sinner that you are, to God who loves you. He wants you as you are. He does not want anything from you. A sacrifice, a work. He wants you alone. My son, give me thine heart. Proverbs twenty three twenty six. God has come to you to save the sinner. Be glad. This is liberation through truth. You can hide nothing from God. The mask you wear before men will do you no good before him. Should I read that again? The mask that you wear before God shall do you no good before him. He wants you to see you as you are. He wants to be gracious to you. You do not have to go on lying to yourself and your brothers as if you were without sin. You can dare to be a sinner. You can dare to be a sinner. Thank God for that. He loves the sin, but he hates sin. He loves the sinner, but he hates the sin. Take off your mask. Quit deceiving yourself. I need to quit deceiving myself. Again, I'm preaching to myself. Let us not put on the pious front, but rather let us take a real assessment of who we really are, i.e. sinners, and who really is, who he really is, Jesus, the Savior. And together, when God calls us together as a body, we dwell together as sinners saved by grace, His amazing grace, living life together. And I conclude with a couple questions that you need to think about, that I need to think about. Are you tired of carrying a backpack filled with burdens? Are you exhausted by the constant and nagging weight of trying to measure up and meet a standard that is impossible and unachievable to meet? Do you doubt Jesus' ability? Do you doubt his ability and power to remove the weight and burden of guilt, sin, and the law? Because that's unbelief. Unbelief is to doubt the promise of God in in Christ's word. I urge you to run to Jesus, for he is gentle and he is a humble savior. Come like little children. Like little children, run to your Father in heaven through Christ. Come with childlike faith. Because that is what Jesus requires. Amen. Let's pray. Almighty God and gracious Father, we are so thankful for the invitation to come to Jesus. And that you have revealed the mysteries of the kingdom To little children. And we the people of God. Those who confess and profess Christ as Lord and Savior. Have been made to be little children. We have been humbled. To see our sin for what it really is. And to see Christ. Who is our great Savior. Oh Lord God help us not to minimize. Or diminish the work of Jesus. And the cross of Christ but help us boldly to embrace it and to see his perfect and gracious work that he accomplished once and for all on Calvary. And that when he was buried, our lives, our sins were buried with him. And when he was raised, we were raised to new life with him, new spiritual resurrected lives. And we await a day for the resurrection of the dead when body and soul will be redeemed fully and truly. And you will usher in the new heavens and new earth where we will know sin no more. Oh, come, Lord Jesus, come. Maranatha.